Hey, it's Alan, and I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to the ongoing history of new music early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The stereotypical rock star is very similar to what we might think of when we're asked to describe a very backward caveman. They're lazy. Yeah! Sides are bathe me! They're self-centered. I don't care if your mother's just died. I need you to pick up after my dog. There, there, Pookie. You get all those nasty things off the kitchen floor. And they're disgusting. I believe I just soiled myself! Ah! Oh well. Party time! Studies have shown that their brains are capable of comprehending just three things. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Hey, baby, come over here and help me with my syringe. You can tie me off with a guitar string. Give us the cuddle first, eh? <laughs> However, while Rockstaris Repulsivus may be dominant, evolutionary studies suggest that the genus may be branching into more advanced directions. Scientists call these emerging species Rockstarius eggheadius, and the body of evidence is growing larger every day. Here, then, is what we've learned so far. Boy, what's that whispering dude all about? Who invited him? Throw him out! I saw myself again! Waiter! Bring me my mop! No, the good mop! This is the Ongoing History of New Music Podcast with Alan Cross. Separated. The offspring from the biggest selling indie record of all time. That's Smash from 1994. Come out and play, keep them separated. Welcome again, I'm Alan Cross, and we're going to dispel some myths about the rock star. Over the decades, most people have come to believe that rock stars of both sexes are drunken, drugged out sex machines who, had they not learned to play an instrument, would have had a hard time holding down the worst kind of minimum wage job. Well, maybe. There were certainly lots of those types, but being a rock star isn't necessarily synonymous with having the intellect and manners of a caveman. Witness Brian Holland, singer of The Offspring. His nickname is Dexter because he was so good in school. In fact, he was the class valedictorian for his high school graduating class. 
He later went on to the University of Southern California, where he picked up a bachelor's degree in biology. After that came a master's degree in molecular biology, and his professors urged him to get his PhD, a doctorate in molecular biology, but he said, no, nah, you know, this whole band thing is starting to work out. Uh, I think I'll try that. He did. And 30 million or so records later, he's worth about 30 million times what a tenured professor might make. Now, it's not like he left all his training behind. Dexter works with a charity called Innocence Project, which is a nonprofit legal clinic that offers DNA testing for people convicted of crimes. People go there to prove that they couldn't have possibly done the crime based on DNA evidence. Oh, and did I mention that Dexter used some of his earnings to become a certified jet pilot? He has his own private jet. He once flew a solo trip around the world in 10 days just because he could. Now, Dexter is far from being the only egghead in the world of new rock. Let's talk about Greg Graffin. If there's one guy who has shown that a punk rocker doesn't have to be a self-destructive moron, it's him. Check out his CV. Greg enrolled in UCLA, where he double majored in anthropology and geology. He decided that he liked rocks so much. How's that for symmetry? That he took his interest in geology and turned it into a master's degree. After that, he was accepted at Cornell University, where he got his Ph.D. in zoology. And his doctoral thesis was Monism, Atheism, and the Naturalist Worldview, Perspectives from Evolutionary Biology. It linked evolutionary biology with history and the philosophy of science. Wow. When Greg isn't working with bad religion, he's teaching life sciences at UCLA. And he's so well-respected that in April of 2008, he received an Outstanding Lifetime Achievement Award in Cultural Humanism from the Harvard Secular Society. Like I said, who says that punk rock has to be dumb and self-destructive? Bad Religion, featuring Greg Graffin. If you would like to read some of his academic writings, there are links on the Bad Religion website. Sterling Morrison was a member of the Velvet Underground. They were probably the first ever alternative band when they were together for the first time around in the 1960s. Sterling was an English major at Syracuse University, which is where he met Lou Reed. Now, Sterling didn't graduate, but in 1970, the Velvet Underground was at a stage where he could take some time to complete his studies, which he did at City College in New York City. A year later, with the Velvets officially dead, he enrolled at the University of Texas at Austin, where he earned a Ph.D. in, wait for it, medieval studies. He secured a teaching position and stayed in Texas until sometime in the middle 1980s when he abruptly quit to become a tugboat captain. He did that for a while before performing a series of reunion gigs with the Velvets in the early 1990s. Here's a sample of Dr. Morrison playing with the Velvet Underground. This is 1993 during one of those reunion tours. This is all tomorrow's parties. The Velvet Underground, live in Paris in 1993, featuring Sterling Morrison, by then a doctor of medieval studies on guitar and bass. Sadly, Sterling died of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in the summer of 1995, just two days after his 53rd birthday.
Okay, we've covered English professors, molecular biologists, and doctors of zoology. What about physicians and physicists? Got some of them, too. Let's talk about Terry Chimes. Clash fans know him as one of the two guys who played drums for the band. Now, Terry had a pretty solid music career. After the Clash faded away, he went on to play in a bunch of different bands, including Generation X and, believe it or not, Black Sabbath. So, yeah, a member of the Clash was also once a member of Black Sabbath. But by the end of the 1980s, Terry began thinking about doing something else. What about following his childhood dream of being a vet or a doctor? But the more he thought about it, the more he thought this way. His experiences with the rock and roll lifestyle drew him to this conclusion. The natural way of healing is far better than pumping people full of drugs. So he gave up eating meat and drinking alcohol. And then he went to a series of schools across the UK to learn how to be a chiropractor. Then he went to China to learn all about acupuncture. And today, Terry Chimes has a chiropractic clinic in Essex. If you have a bad back or suffer from headaches, try booking an appointment through his website at terrychimes.com. The Clash from 1977 with Career Opportunities featuring future chiropractor and acupuncturist Terry Chimes on drums. Now, Terry isn't the only guy who's gone into the healthcare profession. Steve Guthrie was a member of a goth band called Theater of Hate. He's now an acupuncturist in Brighton. He's the director of the Dyke Road Natural Health Clinic, and he's also helped establish a nonprofit health clinic for children. Now, from physicians, we're going to move to physicists. And first up is Alex James, the bass player from Blur. He went to college to study French. That's where he met the rest of the guys from Blur. When they took off, all kinds of new opportunities beckoned. He began to write for several British newspapers and magazines. He appeared on University Challenge, the reach for the top of the post-secondary set in the UK. And he also did a lot of other TV and radio things. Well, that was all fine, but Alex had two secret passions. Space exploration and cheese. Now, we've discussed Alex's cheese thing before. He's now one of the most respected cheesemakers in all of the UK, but few people know about Alex's space fetish. He's always been deep into the idea of what's out there. I have two songs here. This is a track he wrote for Blur's Park Life album in 1994. It's called Far Out. Alex James of Blur resetting some moons and stars in a song called Far Out from Blur's Park Life album. So why is he doing that? Well, loves astronomy. And there's more. When the European Space Union decided they'd better start exploring the universe, Alex got on board. He began campaigning to anyone and everyone for funding of a probe to Mars called Beagle 2. Not only that, but he convinced the rest of Blur to write a song for the space probe. The idea was that as soon as it touched down on the surface of Mars, Beagle 2 would uh, phone home by playing a special Blur song. Well, unfortunately, the probe was lost on landing, and Blur never did get to be the first rock band to broadcast from Mars, but at least we know what the song sounded like.
What the universe would have heard had the Beagle 2 landed safely on Mars on Christmas Day 2003. It's Blur's Beagle 2 theme, instigated by bass player Alex James. Now, I'm still not done with Alex. He spent two years at the University of Bath, where he earned an honors degree in astrophysics. He's a member in good standing with the British Astronomical Association. And since January of 2007, he's the artist in residence at the University of Oxford. Oh, and did I mention he has a son named Galileo? Yeah. Now, lest you think that he's the only astronomy nut in rock, Brian May from Queen is probably the biggest. He's a full-fledged physicist with a doctorate based on his work called A Survey of Radio Velocities in the Zodiacal Dust Cloud. He's now the Chancellor of Liverpool University. He took over the spot from Tony Blair's wife, Sherry. Oh, yeah, and there's an asteroid named after him. Gary Lightbody of Snow Patrol is also a science and astronomy geek. Why, for example, did you think he called Snow Patrol's 2008 album 100 Million Suns? And look at some of the song titles. If there's a rocket, tie me to it. The planets bend between us. Gary is also very interested in the quantum experiments being carried out with the Large Hadron Super Collider in Europe. I'm absolutely and utterly um, intrigued by it all. But I, my, my, uh, my grasp of it is limited because I don't have a grounding in science. And when it comes to the big questions, it's, I find myself lost, ironically, in the minutia of it sometimes because you, um, you get lost in the details. And if you don't have a grounding, then sometimes it feels like walking in on a conversation halfway through and trying to catch up. Yeah, but I was very excited when the, the, um, when the development of CERN sort of came to light. And then obviously it was a big kind of letdown when, um, when I had to sort of knock it off until next year. But, uh, but uh, well, obviously the, a lot of the press over here kind of got a little bit carried away, like we were all going to be sucked into a vortex. And, uh, in a matter of in a matter of hours. Steve and I both know it's gonna take at least two months for that to happen. <laughs> take back the city for yourself tonight. I'll take back the city for me. Take back the city for yourself tonight. Whoa, whoa. God knows you put your life into its hands. And it's both cradled you and crushed. Snow Patrol, featuring physics and astronomy fan Gary Lightbody. Oh, and speaking of the Large Hadron Collider, that massive machine where they're going to plumb the very depths of quantum mechanics, I need to direct your attention to a guy named Brian Cox. Back in the early 90s, Brian played keyboards in an electropop band called Dream. It sounded like this. Brian was working on that sort of twaddle. He was also working on his PhD in physics. And today, he's now Professor Brian Cox, one of the many British scientists working on the Large Hadron Collider in Switzerland. When we come back, I want to discuss two more alt-rock eggheads, one whose father helped advance science fiction and science fact, and another guy who's probably too smart for his own good. Welcome back. We're looking at some of the most learned people in all of alt-rock. But we're actually going to cheat just a bit because we're not so concerned with this next guy as we are with his father. Mark Oliver Everett goes by the name of E. His band is called The Eels. His father was Hugh Everett III. He was a physicist who came up with something called the Many Worlds Theory. Now, to even begin to understand what we're about to talk about, you have to have 
knowledge of the mysteries of quantum mechanics, which is how the universe works on a micro, 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 micro level. It's where the regular rules of our physical universe break down into gibberish. Even Einstein didn't completely get quantum physics. Mark Everett, E's dad, came up with this idea of relative state formulation. Without getting too geeky about it, it provides for the existence of many universes existing in parallel with ours. But we can't see them and they can't see us. He said that there were an infinite number of universes. And anything that could happen, let's say, on your street, happens on identical streets and other universes. Sounds like a lot of Star Trek episodes. Now, Everett was scoffed at by other physicists at first, but now his ideas are taken very seriously because they help resolve some of the paradoxes that you find in quantum theory. Later, Mr. Everett applied mathematics to making money. He used something called Lagrange multipliers, which made him a millionaire. He used some of that cash to found a company that studied the parallels between human speech and machine speech. Sadly, Mr. Everett died of a heart attack one day in 1982. It was his son, Mark E., the musician, who found him. And Mark has since been on a quest to understand his father's theories. There's even a very good PBS special on that quest. Let me play you something from the Eels. This is from an album called Daisies of the Galaxy. It's Mr. E's Beautiful Blues. Oh, goddamn right, it's a beautiful day. Oh, goddamn right, it's a beautiful day. Oh, uh-huh. Eels featuring Mark Everett, whose dad was a physicist, whose theories launched a million sci-fi books and whose ideas might explain why subatomic particles behave so weird. While we're on the subject, I should mention a few more smart relatives. The great-great-grandfather of Coldplay singer Chris Martin is the guy who came up with the concept of daylight savings time in the days before World War I. And remember Huey Lewis in the news? Huey's grandfather was an inventor. He's the guy who came up with that red wax sealant that you find wrapping certain types of cheese. Okay, one more and we're done. We could do a whole series of shows on this one guy, but I can give you just a taste. His name is Brian Peter St. John Le Baptiste de La Salle Eno. Brian Eno, or just Eno for short. He started in the art school band Roxy Music in the early 1970s. Since then, he's established himself not only as a musician, but as a composer, a record producer, a music theorist, a philosopher, a filmmaker, a writer, a lecturer, and someone who conceives of and constructs art installations that are displayed in galleries around the world. He's released at least 40 albums, either on his own or as collaborations with people like David Byrne of The Talking Heads. Several of these albums invented the whole concept and genre of ambient music. He's produced records for David Bowie, U2, The Talking Heads, and Coldplay. And along the way, he discovered this young Canadian kid called Daniel Lanwan, took him under his wing. Eno also came up with a new method of encouraging inspiration and out-of-the-box thinking. It's a bit difficult to explain here, but I've used this method myself in running some of these shows and also some of my books and some of my other projects. And it works really well. Here's what you do. Google oblique strategies. Oblique strategies. Read up on it. And if you ever find yourself stuck while tackling a creative project, this could break the logjam in your head. It's very clever. Okay, what else has uh, Eno done? Well, you know Will Wright's video game Spore? Well, I guess who did the music? He wrote an application called Bloom for the iPhone. He's petitioned on behalf of the BBC for more funding. He's done some acting in a British sitcom, no less. He wrote some ringtones for Nokia phones. Oh, and did I mention that he was the composer of that little flourish that everybody heard when they booted up their computers and Windows 95 started? That was Eno. 
And as a side note, that Windows theme was composed on a it was composed on a Mac. There's more, but you get the idea. Eno has a very, very big brain, what the English might call a super boffin. Now I need a piece of music to play. What if we go back to his invention of ambient music, which created the foundations for so many different genres of electronic music? In 1975, he got into a car accident, and this led him bedridden for several months. Because he was immobilized, he couldn't even get up to adjust the volume on his stereo after a visitor put on some quiet harp music. It was just too damn quiet. He wanted to turn up so he could hear it. But after a while, and maybe it was the drugs, Eno came to believe that music could have the same properties as color or light when it came to creating a harmonious and balanced sensory experience. Once he got out of the hospital, he started experimenting with synthesizers and came up with a soft, mesmerizing sound that gently went through various repetitions. These weren't so much sounds as they were soundscapes, and he called it ambient music. By the time he got to 1979, he pretty much had it nailed. What you're hearing in the background is an excerpt from an album called Music for Airports, which was designed for, uh, well, to be played in airports. Let's just forget the lost baggage, that jerk in the check-in line, and the fact that you've left your belt at security, and listen and relax. better? I think I do. So there's a look at some of the smartest and most learned people in all of alt-rock. There's one person I didn't include, and that's Courtney Love. Now, stop laughing. Some sources say that she has an above-average IQ, but she's one of those people who has had a hard time, um, let's just say, harnessing it for good. I could have also mentioned Thomas Dolby. His father was a professor of classical Greek literature. Not only was he an in-demand studio musician in the early 1980s and a much sought-after producer and remixer, he had a music career of his own. You know, she blinded me with science, One of Our Submarines is Missing, Hyperactive. Those were all big alt-rock hits during the synth-pop years of the early 1980s. The guy also worked on movie soundtracks. He does video games. He does soundtracks for rides at theme parks and a variety of other things. But get this. He has a company called Headspace that does a lot of cool electronic stuff. If you have a Nokia cell phone and you use that cell phone to play ringtunes, the thing inside the phone that allows the ringtune to be played was invented by Thomas Dolby. Thanks to Natalia for the help. Technical Productions by Rob Johnston, and I'm Alan Cross. You've been listening to the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. Subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and everywhere you find your favorite podcasts.